Good evening. This is Otis Jiry, host of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. I hope you've enjoyed the first season of the program and all 24 episodes. Myself and the team at Chilling Entertainment and the Simply Scary Podcast Network were hard at work on Season 2, which begins right on schedule this upcoming Wednesday, May 16th, now with three free stories per episode. But, in case you just can't wait until next week for your fill of frights, you're in luck, as I come to you today with the gift that keeps on giving. If you don't already know, mine is not the only horror audio drama on the Simply Scary Network. We also produce the program that started it all, the Simply Scary Podcast, which frequently features yours truly, and which just launched its third season this past Tuesday. Season 3, Episode 1, features me in a starring role, so don't miss it. If you're not a subscriber to the Simply Scary Podcast, you can find them also on simplyscarypodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. And if you're just discovering our friends over there, You've got a lot of catching up to do, and there are more than 30 episodes for you to satisfy your taste for terror with. Also, on the network is our brand new program, Horror Hill, starring Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's fan favorite, Jason Hill, as both host and narrator. Jason's show is for mature audiences only, is not for those faint of heart, and features a wide range of anthology horror from both published and unpublished authors, complete with sound effects and music. So, if you're interested in losing any more sleep, here's your fix every Thursday night. For those of you listening in now and supporting me, I wanted to go the extra mile and make it easy for you to experience what it's like over at the Horror Hill. So, with the kind permission of Jason... I present to you the latest episode of his program in its entirety here on my feed. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to Horror Hill on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Leave him a five-star review and post a kind word if you feel so inclined. It would bring a smile to this old storyteller's face to see fans of my show enjoy his as well. From all of us here at Simply Scary Podcast Network, where we like to give you more horror than you can handle. Stay spooky and enjoy the show. And I'll see you next week for the debut of Season 2 of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun. And nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable 
before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself, if you dare. Come, inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. stories for you this evening. Our first, a lesson in the virtues of workplace safety and an industrial accident that becomes the gift that keeps on giving. From author Tim Miller, I give you Back Knee. Jerry hated working in a factory. He'd been a material handler for almost three years, and it sucked. Some guys loved it. He would admit any day of the week he liked driving the forklift. Well, most of the time. Sometimes unloading trucks and having to place loads into super high places was the worst. You couldn't see where the fuck shit was. One time a skid got caught on something as he pulled the forks out. The skid came with it, and two 50-gallon drums of cleaning solution came crashing to the floor. Fortunately, no one was standing nearby or they'd have been killed. Since that incident, he was much more careful. Half the time, he didn't even know what was in most of the barrels. They all had hazmat labels on them. That was all he needed to know. Not to mention they always smelled something awful. Even when they were sealed, his eyes watered just from the odor. When possible, he wore a respirator when hauling the things around, but that wasn't always an option. It took too long to put on and usually didn't help. Sometimes they made it worse, trapping the odor inside. Totally nasty. It always felt like fire was going up his nose. At least what he figured fire going up his nose would feel like, as actual fire had never physically gone up his nose. One day, they received a shipment of some especially strange-looking barrels... These were green drums stacked onto skids, but they didn't have any hazmat labels. Not that it mattered to Jerry. These would go onto another loft on the far side of the warehouse. Unfortunately, they would have to go to the very top. Jerry's least favorite, as he wouldn't be able to see what he was doing. Had to play it by feel. He lifted the skid and elevated the forks as he backed away from the truck. He drove to the loft and raised the forks as high as they would go. Once it was raised up, he tilted the forks backwards slightly to get a good angle when something dripped onto him. First, it got onto his helmet. Then, it came down faster until it was pouring down in a steady pour. Motherfucker! Jerry yelled as he undid his seatbelt and jumped out of the seat. He made it out, but not before a bunch of the ooze hit the back of his collar and ran down his back. It was warm. And gooey. Whatever it was. Jerry, what the hell are you doing? Carl called out as he ran over. Carl was the plant supervisor. Those fucking barrels are leaking! That shit got all over me! Look! Jerry turned around. He hadn't seen what the actual substance was, but could hear Carl gasping. 
Jesus fuck. What is this shit? Carl asked. I don't know. The driver had the MSDS for it. There were no hazmat stickers on it. Shit. Does it hurt? No. What's wrong? Nothing, man. If it doesn't hurt, just, just go home. Maybe get it checked out if it bothers you. That shit is all green and sticky looking. What about the forklift? Just leave it. I'll have someone take care of it. Get out of here. Jerry nodded and headed home. He could feel the sticky substance along his back but still hadn't seen it. When he got home, he stripped out of his work clothes and held up his shirt where he saw the green sludge for the first time. The entire back side of his shirt was covered in it. What the fuck? He climbed into the shower and began to rinse off. Whatever the substance on his back was hadn't bothered him at all until the water hit it. The second the water touched his back, his whole body burned. He screamed, jumped away as white-hot pain shot through his entire backside. Holy shit! Fuck! Shit! Fuck! Ah! Fuck! Shit! He jumped up and down, almost slipping and falling but keeping his balance after grabbing the rail. He stepped out of the shower and toweled off. The burning in his back continued but subsided slowly. Looking at himself in the mirror, he cranked his head around to see what his back looked like. The green goo was gone, but his back was bright red, as if he were badly sunburned. The pain was gone by the time he toweled off and dressed. However, he did suddenly feel exhausted. Jerry climbed into bed and pulled up the covers. Before he knew it, he was sound asleep. When he awoke, his back was throbbing. Climbing out of bed, he headed into the bathroom to look at his back again. This time, he almost threw up at the sight. His back was covered in bright red pimples. Hundreds of them clustered together. Some of them had white heads already. Others were just red and puffy. What the fuck? He said to his reflection. He needed to go have it checked out, but also needed to get to work. He was already running late. He couldn't let something as simple as a breakout cost him his job. His plant only allowed three sick days a year and all were unpaid. Carefully, he pulled on his shirt before he finished dressing. Once his boots were laced up, he headed out to work. Most of the day had been uneventful. Typical loading and unloading of various trucks. No one mentioned the strange barrel and leak the day before. He wanted to ask his boss just what was in there, but Carl had been tied up in meetings all morning. Jerry was relieved when the lunch bell sounded. He climbed out of the forklift and headed to the break area when someone from behind startled him. Holy shit! The guy yelled. Jerry turned around to find his co-worker, Mike, standing behind him looking horrified. What's wrong? Dude, your back is all wet. What the fuck? Mike took a step closer. God, it stinks. Jerry reached over his shoulder, feeling along the back of his shirt, and sure enough, he was completely saturated. But with what? Jesus Christ, Jerry said. Out of panic, he began to remove his shirt right there. 
His co-workers in the break area looked on horrified and confused as he pulled his shirt all the way off. What the fuck? Another co-worker yelled. A female worker screamed as people started backing away from him. Jerry felt something running down his back. He ran into the bathroom to look in the mirror. When he saw it, he screamed himself. His entire back was covered in huge yellow zits, many of which had burst. Greenish-yellow pus oozed all down his back, some falling off in large clumps. Sirens sounded as Jerry stepped out of the bathroom. There was an ambulance pulling up outside. Two paramedics came in, a guy and a girl, both carrying medical bags and wearing rubber gloves. Are you the one with a fluid discharge? The male medic said. Um, uh, I guess so. I'm not sure what's going on. Jerry turned around. Oh my god, the female medic said. Any idea what caused this? Some shit spilled on me yesterday from a barrel I was unloading. I have no idea what it was. No one will tell me. I woke up today all broke out. Now, now it's like this. The male medic stuck his finger into one of the holes in his back. More greenish syrup oozed from the opening. The medic held the finger up to his nose and took a sniff. Smells like acid, he said. Does it hurt? Not really. Did... Did you just stick your finger in there? No. Let's get you in the ambulance, the woman said before grabbing a blanket and throwing it over his shoulders. He hoped once they got to the hospital they could figure out what it was. Except as they were walking out, Jerry noticed several of his co-workers' faces were covered in red and yellow zits. Some didn't notice, but others were looking at each other and freaking out. The medics looked at each other as the girl finally spoke up. I think we need to quarantine the whole plant, she said, including us. Are you serious? The guy asked. Yes, I'm serious. Look at this. Everyone is getting whatever this guy has. Jerry's face and arms began to itch. He reached up and felt thick bumps all over his cheeks and forehead. Looking at the medics, their faces were breaking out as well. None of the current breakouts were as bad as his back. Except he was about to be in worse condition than everyone else. The other employees began screaming at him as the paramedics looked on. What did you do to us? What the fuck is wrong with you? You infected all of us! Are we turning into zombies? Jerry tried to back away as they closed in on him. I I, I didn't do anything to you. One of the barrels spilled shit on me. Seriously, I woke up all broken out. I just I just thought it was a rash. Then at lunch, my back looks like this. I had no idea. I didn't know. Some of them were holding various tools in their hands. One man he didn't know approached. His face had gone from red and puffy to yellow and greasy looking. It was covered with whiteheads that were throbbing and ready to burst. He stood inches away from Jerry. You did this to me, he said. Now I'm going to kill you. The man lifted a hammer and reared back. Before he could swing, Jerry punched him in the face. As his fist connected, dozens of zits on the man's face popped at once. Yellow pus and fluid splattered onto Jerry's face and into his mouth. It tasted salty as he gagged. 
trying to keep from throwing up. The man fell to the ground and looked up. He looked as if his face was melting off. The entire right side of his face was covered in yellow clumps of pus and sludge. The other's faces began turning yellow as well. When the man's face began oozing yellow slime, they all attacked Jerry at once. He swung in every direction as many jumped onto his back. One person grabbed him in a chokehold, but he was able to slip free as greasy pus lubricated his face and neck. The entire mob fought like mad as their zits continued popping and squirting. They rolled and tussled around at a huge pool of greenish-yellow sludge. One man shoved another man's face into a puddle of pus, holding him down until the man drowned. Jerry felt someone thrust their entire hand into an opening in his back. The person's hand fished around as if looking for something as more slime oozed from the opening. Jerry broke away to see if it was the female medic. He couldn't even make out her face under all the pus which caked her hair to the side of her head as huge clumps fell from her face. Her eyes were wild-eyed as she screamed and jumped at Jerry, digging her nails into his face, ripping his flesh and zits free. Bloody pus dripped down his face and nose as he tumbled backward, hitting his head on the floor and knocking himself unconscious. When he awoke, he was lying in a hospital bed. Looking around, he saw the room was dark and there was plastic lining the walls. Someone stood over him wearing a fully encapsulated hazmat suit. Jerry, glad you finally woke up, the robotic voice from the suit said. What's going on? Where am I? I'm Dr. Cole. You're at the CDC in our special quarantine unit. You had quite an ordeal. I guess. I thought it was just a nightmare. I had this really bad acne on my back and everyone at work got it too and attacked me. It was so gross and freaky. Oh, I'm afraid that was no dream. It all happened. You were exposed to some rare bacteria that caused the breakout. It also causes temporary dementia and paranoia. Yeah, I noticed. What was in that barrel? That stuff that fell on me. That barrel contained the actual pus from another set of victims. I'm not sure why it wasn't marked. The fluid itself contained some valuable properties. What do you mean? Do you have a cure for it? Cure? <laughs> no. I think you're mistaken. We're harvesting it. This stuff can be easily weaponized. It is very potent and you of all the victims seem to have an endless supply. What? Yes, that's what all the tubes hooked to you are. Jerry looked at himself and for the first time he noticed dozens of tubes connected to his back, arms, and legs. What is all this? Jerry asked. Hmm, think of it like this. You are one giant slurpee. So we have several people with straws hooked up to you to make sure we don't miss or lose a single drop. Just a few ounces of that stuff is worth a fortune. You can't do this. I'm not. The Pentagon is. I just work here. Sorry, kid. Don't worry, though. I left you some DVDs to keep you company during your stay. The doctor held up a box containing a bunch of movies that looked like they just came from the Walmart bargain bin. I think they have Piranha Shark vs. Bugnado in there. Oof, that's a good one. 
Um, anyway, here you go. I'll be back in a few hours to check on you. As the doctor turned and walked away, he knocked on a steel door that made a hissing sound as it was unsealed. The doc stepped through the steel door and slammed it shut. Jerry looked around and flung the box of DVDs across the room. He tried to climb out of bed, but the tubes kept him in place. They had been surgically embedded into his skin. Panic began to set in as the reality of the situation hit. He'd spend the rest of his life in this place as a one-man pus factory for the government. You can't do this! He screamed. Let me go, you can't do this! Tears ran down his face as he looked at the ground. He caught sight of one of the DVDs. It was called Attack of the Pus Monster. He threw his head back and started to laugh. Once the laughter started, he couldn't stop. He laughed hysterically at the irony of the whole thing. Attack of the Pus Monster. He was the Pus Monster. But that gave him an idea. He reached back and began tugging at the tubes. Despite the pain, he'd ripped one free. Chunks of skin and pus dripped from it as he pulled on the next one. When the doctor came back, he was in for a big surprise. A surprise from the real-life pus monster. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And I thought high school was bad. (laughs) Our final story this evening finds an ambitious young intern on assignment in the deep, dark woods, who just may have bitten off more than he can chew. From author Tom Farr, I give you... Blood of the Swine. And the pig, because its parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Leviticus 11 Seven through eight. She is just around. Henriksen lifted one hand from the wheel and twirled it slowly in the air, a puzzled frown creasing his broad features. 
How do you say uh, twist? Maybe? Yeah, that's it. Just around the twist in trees, Mr. Garrett. She is not further now. Five minutes, yeah? The man's English was forced and stilted. Jake often had difficulty understanding what he meant. So instead of replying, he merely nodded and turned to gaze out the rain-beaded window. The forest opened up briefly on his right, then he caught a glimpse of the Swedish countryside as it meandered past. Windswept and misty with rain, scatterings of spindly trees and mossy rocks marred an otherwise desolate hillside that stretched as far as the eye could see. Then it was gone, obscured once again by a great wall of black trees, leafless and densely packed, which ran the length of the rutted dirt track along which they now bumped. Jake squinted into the murk, hoping to catch a glimpse of an elk or perhaps even a wolf. Instead, his eyes found only long, thin shapes stretching upwards in the withered branches. He frequently thought he caught glimpses of dark bulk slipping between the thin trunks, seemingly keeping pace with the battered red Volvo as it snaked its way through the forest. But closer scrutiny always revealed nothing more than insubstantial shadows. Henriksen's five more minutes was closer to fifteen. The trail narrowed towards its end and the foliage whipped at the windows. It scraped at the doors and snapped against the bonnet. Just how long had it been since the Swede had last taken a client to view the property anyway? Jake considered asking him, but thought better of it. It would only initiate another awkward conversation that he would have trouble understanding. Instead, he stared at his shoes and wondered why he'd taken the time to polish them when he would no doubt end up traipsing through mud and who knew what else. He glanced at his cell phone. No signal. No surprise, really. It had been that way for hours now. The forest was silent around them, the only sounds the steady purr of the Volvo's engine and his own heavy breathing. It was so isolated out here. Even with Henriksen beside him, Jake felt completely and utterly alone. Henriksen looked at him curiously. Jake flashed the Swede a reassuring grin. It was an effort to mask his growing unease. In truth, he was unsure why Manson and White, the London-based chartered surveyors he was interned to for the duration of the summer, had been so eager to fly him out to Strognos to view Rockenberg Ranch. He'd seen a photo of the place the one and only photo the company had on file. And the dark wood, sagging moss-covered roof, and tiny shuttered windows had only served to heighten his confusion. Sure, the place was big, and there was the location to consider. The house was nestled deep within one of Sweden's largest forests. But whether that last was a potential selling point or not, Jake did not know. He supposed it would depend on the client. She's arrived, Mr. Garrett. Heinrichsen's deep, baritone voice interrupted Jake's reverie. He looked up just as the car emerged from the ocean of trees into a relatively large clearing. The ranch slouched in the center, a dim, dilapidated structure that looked like it hadn't been touched in a hundred years or so. It was comprised of two interconnected buildings. The main house, which consisted of two floors and a narrower building of the same height but with an overhanging and windowless upper floor. The structure joining the two was low and flat-roofed, only a single floor with one tiny window. 
The sole window in the second building was unshuttered, the only one of its kind on the property, and as his gaze slid over it, he felt a sudden awareness of scrutiny, as though some unseen eyes were watching through the tiny pane of glass. Did the darkness suddenly become a shade lighter, as though a bulky shape that had been obscuring the window had just slipped away? Off to the right of the house, an overgrown paddock teemed with leafy ferns and tall, swaying grasses. Jake tried to imagine horses grazing there, but found he was unable to picture any animals in such a dreary environment. A withered tree was barely visible around the side of the house. Small objects, shriveled and brown, hung from its blighted branches. A ramshackle, broken-down fence encircled the ranch. As the Volvo drove through the gate, which was hanging forlornly from one hinge, Jake was unable to suppress a slight shudder. It was as though they had left the real world, where cell phones worked and people actually existed, passing through into a forgotten place, forlorn and abandoned to the ravages of time. Mr. Garrett? Heinrichsen was holding a passenger door open for him. Jake hadn't even realized they had stopped. I'm sorry, I was lost in the... well, was lost in this place. The words sounded stupid even as they left his mouth, and he felt his ears turn red. Heinrichsen, however, merely smiled and nodded his assertion. Yeah, she is handsome, as you say, in London, England, yeah? Handsome wasn't the first word that sprung to mind for Jake. Neither was a beautiful or picturesque. As the Swede led him through the unkempt garden towards Brockenburg Ranch, there was a single word resonating in Jake's head. Alone. Henriksen's mother was dead. An 18-wheeler had lost control and plowed through the front of a grocery store. She'd been killed instantly. He received the call, and how he managed to get a signal out here, Jake couldn't begin to fathom. About ten minutes after they arrived at the property turning his red Volvo around and heading straight back to Strognos, without Jake. The original plan had been to spend the afternoon mapping and extensively photographing the ranch's interior. In the morning, they would have combed the property for structural defects or weaknesses before finishing up by photographing the exterior and examining the surrounding land and establishing the boundaries. Obviously, things had changed now. Jake understood completely and he almost accepted the distraught Swede's offer to reschedule and return to Strognos. Almost. But his sense of responsibility prevailed, and he sent Hendrickson away with assurances that he'd be ready and waiting for the Swede to collect him at nine the next morning. And then he was alone in that dreadful place. And it was truly dreadful. The interior was completely devoid of light, forcing him to rely solely on the thin beam of his LED card torch, and he was unable to force the shutters open, so damp and gorged and swollen was the wood. The exterior was deceptive. The main house consisted of only two large rooms. The room on the first floor was empty, save for three small box beds on either side, as well as a jumble of rags and sticks piled in one corner. A dark purple drape was drawn across the bed furthest from the staircase, but Jake couldn't muster up the nerve to cross the somehow mournful room and pull it aside. Instead, he closed and latched the door. Why was there a latch on the outside? 
returned to the ground floor, which was furnished with ancient rickety chairs and a long table that bowed in the center. There was another bundle of kindling stacked beneath it, bound in a tattered sheet. A closed fireplace was set in the far wall, and there was another box bed, this one larger than those above, on the left wall, with a dust-caked vanity and small circular table nearby. An ancient claw-footed bathtub nestled in another corner, the sight of which made Jake uneasy. Something dark dangled over the lip, but he dared not look. He imagined shining the beam of his torch only to have it reflected back at him from a pair of jaundiced yellow eyes. He shuddered at the thought of something curled inside in that dreadful tub, waiting in silence and observing his every movement, with a single waif-like arm dangling over the edge. Just what had he seen at the window? He hurriedly pushed the thoughts to the back of his mind before they could form, lest he allow his fears to fully take root. Henriksen had mentioned during the drive that they would be staying in the guest bedroom, which was apparently situated on the overhanging second floor of the other building. Even if it wasn't, Jake would have rather spent a night in the forest than sleep in the funereal room above him, with its tiny beds and somber drapes. With that in mind, he hurried through the tunnel-like connecting structure, his shoes crunching on things he didn't want to look at. Wooden crates were stacked all about him, and splinters tugged at the sleeves of his jacket like sharp fingers as he squeezed between them. The window here wasn't shuttered after all, just thick with grime and dirt. Rubbing at it with his fingers did nothing except leave them stained black. At what he judged to be about halfway he came across a stout wooden door. It looked out of place amidst the disrepair. The thick bar keeping it closed glinted in the torchlight and felt smooth in his hands as he slid it aside. He'd put the torch on a nearby crate to unbar the door, and as he snatched it up, the slim beam slid across something huddled in the corner behind a stack of crates. An emaciated form crouched and stick-thin limbs. He screamed aloud and staggered away, the back of his legs colliding with a crate and sending him tumbling backwards. The torch dropped to the floor, revealing the stack of crates and an empty corner. He considered turning back, getting out of this terrible place before it drove him insane. He retrieved the torch, thankful that it hadn't broken, and shone it on the closed door through which he'd entered. It seemed a mile away. No, to retreat through that oppressive darkness was just... unthinkable. Come to think of it, hadn't he left the door ajar? If so, why was it closed now? Old houses, he whispered, shaking his head. The whole place was probably listing. More than likely, it was fit to collapse at any moment. Fuck it. The loudness of his voice in the empty ranch surprised him, shocked him even. Unwilling to linger any longer in the lightless hell of the connecting building, he eased the door before him open and stepped through. Jake flashed the torch across the walls and drew in a sharp breath, pressing himself against the door. A long, lupine skull snarled down at him from a hook above the window on a three-legged table in the center of the room. The fleshless head of a great elk gazed impassively past him 
with empty eye sockets the size of snooker balls. Something brushed his shoulder, causing his heart to flutter like a trapped bird. A string of tiny, avian-looking skulls hanging from the doorframe. In the corner, to the left of the door, another of those curious piles of sticks and rags. This one was piled high and almost completely swathed in cloth, with only a two bone-white pieces of kindling protruding from the bottom. He gave it a wide berth as he moved into the room. Then his gaze fell on the largest skull of them all, nailed above a lopsided doorway on the far side of the room, a monstrous boar, its snout ending in a pair of enormous yellow tusks that curved upwards and out before turning back on themselves and pointing at the eye sockets. Dull snatches of light filtered through a small spot rubbed clean on the filthy window, throwing a dour gray blanket across the floor. Something glistened wetly on the wood, a sporadic trail leading from the window to the doorway. Jake approached the doorway, a listing frame curiously bereft of an actual door, fixated himself upon it, ignoring the hideous trinkets decorating the room. It led to an extremely narrow staircase. He would have been forced to stoop had he wished to proceed. That, however, was something he now had no desire to do. A rotten stench, a mixture of decay, urine, and soiled hay wafted down, and the walls were curiously scuffed and chipped as though something far too large for the cramped passage had regularly descended it. Or ascended it, Jake thought. And perhaps whoever it was hasn't come back down. Once again, he thought of the perceived shape at the window and failed to suppress a shudder. Then, he noticed the book, resting on a battered stool in the corner of the room. It was thick, leathery looking, and as he approached he realized it was resting atop something. He reached for it, wincing as his fingertips brushed the surprisingly smooth cover. The book felt swollen, somehow, like a latex glove filled with water. What was beneath it caused his jaw to sag and his eyes to bulge? A cassette player blocky brown plastic with a pair of chunky headphones. It looked about 30 years old. But to see something even remotely technological, no matter how antediluvian in this archaic place, gave him pause. There was a tape inside. If there had once been lettering on the buttons, it had long since worn away, but his thumb lingered on one that was slightly larger than the rest. Against his better judgment... Jake popped the headphones over his ears and pressed the button. A chorus of shrill, inhuman shrieks howled in his ears, an impossibly fast rhythm accompanied by a relentless crashing and beating. It sounded like the world was tumbling down around him. He was scrambling to yank the headphones free to silence the tearing dissonance when the music slowed to a sonorous crawl. A voice, a deep baritone, much like Hendrickson's, began a slow intonation. 
Jake's Latin had been mediocre at best when he graduated university and had only grown rustier since. But he was still able to recognize a couple words being chanted. The pair preceding the main verse, Terim Porcum. Porcum was pig. That he did know. But Terim, some reference to soil? The earth, perhaps. A pig in the earth. Or a pig of the earth. He looked down at the book in his other hand. Clenched in a white knuckle grip, he removed the headphones and set the cassette player down on the stool without bothering to stop the tape. Clamping the thin torch between his teeth, he stretched the strange cover taut to try to make out the stilted slew of lettering adorning it. His thumb brushed something in the top right corner. There was a number stitched there. How had he missed it? 3930. Now, what the hell did that mean? Jake returned his attention to the lettering. Even after stretching out the pliable cover, parts of the words remained missing, erased forever by time's gnarled fingers. Puli eas la and sanguinum et ubi we cadaver furet etum eda. He flipped the book open to a random page near the middle and his jaw clenched, his teeth grating against the metal torch. The photograph was grainy and old, with yellowing corners and washed-out colors. But there was no color anyway. Not really. Not in here. And its absence in no way detracted from the image. The main subject had been shot with unerring precision. And the angle was perfect. Jake only wished it wasn't. The photograph had been taken in the room with the claw-footed bathtub, and now Jake understood why he felt such discomfort when gazing upon that battered relic, and more of its insidious purpose in the room. Looking at the remains of her body, he thought the girl had been young. Full breasts and shapely legs were stained with gore, Her arms were bound with a length of chain looped over a ceiling joist from which she dangled above the bathtub. Matted ringlets fell to her shoulders and her collarbones were sharp and pronounced. Her face was hideously bruised and swollen. Had the photo been taken in better lighting? Jake was sure that her face would have been shaded all the hues of the setting sun. But it was the ruin of her stomach which made him want to retch. It looked like a hollowed-out watermelon. Great chunks of flesh had been torn away, and pointed splinters of bone protruded from the remains of her abdomen. The wound tapered inwards, as though whatever had inflicted this atrocity had been unable, or unwilling, to gnaw through completely. The memory of early childhood flashed through his mind, standing in the rain wearing his red wellingtons and holding his mother's hand, watching as his uncle's pig wallowed in the mud. They'd been given pumpkins. The largest of them had gotten its snout stuck, attempting to scoop out every last string of the gooey innards. Then, they laughed until tears ran down their faces. Now, Jake wanted to cry for another reason entirely. 
As if one spontaneous recollection of childhood had led to another, the meaning of the numbers on the book's cover suddenly became clear. Staring at the gruesome photograph, unable to tear his eyes away, the verse ran through his head, the voice of his pastor reciting it like clockwork, again and again. The Book of Job, chapter 39, verse 30. Her young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is she. That was God, talking about one of his creations. But which one? Who? Jake couldn't remember. He slammed the book shut, unable to bear the thoughts of hundreds more terrible photographs crowding the flimsy pages. The feel of the binding made him cringe. It was so soft, so smooth, so fleshy. The despicable thing fell from his suddenly limp grasp as waves of realization and revulsion crashed over him. The cassette player screeched in the background, but it was the erratic beating of his heart that seemed to deafen him. Something was terribly, terribly wrong here. He had to get out. Now... He'd start walking back to Strognos, and Hendrickson would come across him in the morning and drive him far, far away from this terrible place. A faint glimmer of hope began to sparkle somewhere deep inside of him. He was getting out of here. Right now. This was the 21st century. Things like tourists and foreigners being strung up and butchered by xenophobic locals just didn't happen anymore. Unless it was in horror movies like The Hills Have Eyes or The Texas Chainsaw Massacre right? In the room above, something snorted, and Jake's hope guttered and died. It was a soggy sound, like water on the lung, ripping through the veil of silence like a sharp blade through damp cardboard. A great bulk shifted on rotten timbers. Urine ran freely down Jake's leg, the smell of it mingling with the sickly odors wafting through the doorway. As if in response, something stomped hard on the floor above, dislodging swirling clouds of dust from the ceiling. Jake slumped against the paneled wall. His body was shaking and numb with fear, and tears streaked his dusty cheeks. The book lay open at his feet, just as a muscular Caucasian hung above the bathtub in the dull sepia photograph. His innards were hanging from the rafters like tinsel. The cassette player continued to drone from its perch in the corner. Around him, the ranch groaned. Clack, clack, thud. The hollow knocking from above continued, echoing through the empty corridors of the darkened house. The sound of a mallet slamming against wood, or the solid tread of cloven hooves on ancient boards. A thick, wet snuffle, halfway between a snort and a grunt, rolled down from above. An animal. There was a wild animal up there. A hungry animal. One which he would do well to get as far away from as possible. He turned towards the door and choked on his next breath. His torch, 
The previously bright LED flickering weakly slid across a skeletal form rising from the corner. Jake caught the merest hint of paper-thin skin stretched across stick-like bones and thin legs which bent the wrong way at the knee. Before the shape slipped through the half-open door in a flutter of black cloth, the piles of rags and sticks all around him, all over the house. Oh God! A metallic clunk announced the replacing of the metal bar. He was trapped. Demanding his attention, a coarse scraping emanating from the tilted doorway, bare flesh dragged across mottled wood. The barnyard stench hit him in waves, the same sense he'd noticed earlier, now sickeningly rich and overpowering. The very timbers of the house bellowed in protest as something forced itself between the narrow walls and down the tiny staircase. Jake flailed in desperation, and the torch slipped from his sweaty hands, hitting the wooden floor with a hollow clunk. There was nothing. No way out. No escape. He was going to die here. Torn limb from limb in this tiny, lightless box, alone and pissing himself with fear. He scrambled for the fallen torch, although it would do him little good except to illuminate the things from above. But before his fingers found the handle, his outstretched palm brushed against something circular, something metal. Keeping the hand in place, he used the other to grab the torch and direct the beam at a rusted handle, almost invisible against the dark wooden floor. Under closer scrutiny, the sides of the trap door swiftly resolved themselves. It was narrow and he'd barely be able to squeeze through, but at least whatever was having trouble passing down the staircase wouldn't be able to follow him. He hoped. He set the torch down to the floor and eased the trapdoor open, wincing as the hinges squealed in protest, a noise which was immediately drowned out by a frenzy of movement on the stairs. A stampede of motion followed by a huge thud as something cleared the last stairs and moved into the slightly more open hallway. Bone clacked against bone as the thing drew closer. A thick, wet squeal, followed by a series of snuffles and grunts announced its immediate presence. Jake was through the trap door up to his chest now, supporting himself on his elbows. He reached for the torch and, in the scant few seconds before he dropped through the hidden door, completely oblivious as to what was below... The beam of light languishing on the twisted doorway threw into hideous clarity a thing that was horror and grotesqueness given corporeal form. Its vast bulk filled the hall completely. A hulking bear was his first thought, enraged at having somehow become trapped within the close confines of Brockenburg Ranch. Its shaggy haunches supported this theory. Its legs did not. Bears didn't walk on trotters, didn't sway on spindly legs that bent backwards at the knee, and bears didn't have bony arms longer than those of an orangutan, which ended in pale four-fingered hands. Swollen, engorged teats dangled from the thing's hairless underbelly, speckled with lichen and moss and dripping with brine. 
Its stiffened ears scraped the low ceiling. It lowered its snout, and Jake glimpsed rows of yellow incisors protruding from beneath its upper lip. A pair of curved tusks jutted from its lower jaw. Their surface chipped and gouged. Its face was too horrible to behold, and dark eyes glinted with malign intelligence. It came at him faster than he could have imagined, dropping its head and thundering across the room, kicking up huge clouds of dust in its wake and bellowing in primordial rage. Jake dropped backwards at the trap door. The back of his head cracked against the stone. His vision swam. Somehow, over the shrill, bestial squeals emanating from above, he heard the steady drip of water. He tried to stretch his arms, but found only hard walls on either side. The space was tiny. He was unable even to fully extend his legs. The unyielding stone was slippery and damp beneath his fingertips, buried beneath layers of moss and mold. Darkness encroached on his vision, mercifully obscuring the hellish-snouted face peering down at him. The last thing he saw was a pale white balloon leaning over the edge of the trap door. Why, it looked just like... Vic up, Henriksen spat. It was refreshing, no longer having to feign ignorance of the English language, but it remained a barb in his heart that he was forced to continue speaking it. It sullied his tongue, left him unclean. No matter, the swine would cleanse his tainted soul, as she had done so many times before. Vic up! This time he followed with a savage backhand to the Englishman's face that sent bloody spittle flying from his lips. Henriksen leaned in close so that he was inches from the Englishman's face. Your time has come, Jake Garrett. Manson and White send their guards. Your internship is quite obviously at an end. He yanked the Englishman forward and looped the chain around his wrists. Now, your blood is for her. The sow who dwells beneath the soil. The bloody swine. Come forth anew to baptize us with her divine filth. All around him, the hoarse whispers and laughter of her disciples echoed in the darkness. Their ancient bones creaked with the exertion of frantic movement. Something snuffling and wet pressed against the back of his neck. Her heavy musk filled his nostrils, and a limb filthy with bristles brushed the small of his back. Henriksen shivered in ecstasy rejoicing beneath her unholy touch. It was time. Jake's world was pain and darkness. His head throbbed like a tooth blackened by decay, and his shoulders felt as though they were on the verge of dislocation. Because he was strung up by his arms, tight metal bit cruelly into his wrists. The floor was cold beneath his bare feet, No, not the floor. He was dangling above the bath, the balls of his feet barely touching the dirt-encrusted metal bottom. 
Was that Henriksen talking? If so, why was the Swede naked? Jake tried to call out to him, but found his tongue was unwilling to cooperate. Something rattled in his mouth. He tasted copper. His lips were crusted together. The world swam again. Pain flared in his face. Henriksen was standing before him, grasping Jake's jaw with one hand and holding his own shriveled penis with the other. The Swede grinned and fell to his knees, prostrating himself before some unseen deity. Straw, filth, excrement. The barnyard scent hit him like a tsunami. Thin forms scurried in the shadows, chittering and cackling but remaining always just out of sight, giving only fleeting glimpses of withered limbs and wisps of hair. He could barely hear their lunatic laughter over the high-pitched screams and violent shredding coming at him from a pair of battered speakers set up in the far side of the room. Then, he saw it rise from the shadows. It regarded him for seconds that felt like hours, snorting wetly, clacking its teeth. It dropped to the floor with a thud that shook the room and came at him on all fours. Its tusks gored his ribs, but he didn't feel the pain. And by the time its damp snout snuffled against his navel, Jake didn't even have the strength to scream. Thank you for joining me tonight on the Horror Hill. Backney was written by Tim Miller. Tim Miller is a horror author with over 40 books in print in the U.S. and Germany. He lives in Texas, which provides him lots of scary locations and ideas to pass on to his readers. His trusty sidekick, a chihuahua named Sancho, sits by his side and supervises his writing activities. Tim is very active on social media and loves interacting with his readers. You can find him at his website at http colon double slash timmiller.org. Blood of the Swine was written by Tom Farr. Tom Farr is an English literature and creative writing student and part-time retail slave currently living in the south of England. While not professionally published, Farr has several short stories available on websites such as creepypasta.com and Reddit No Sleep. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. 
Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening. Good evening.